This is Eric Corey, and it's time to talk about abortion again. This topic well, it gives me a unique opportunity to put together a podcast that will be current no matter when it is you listen to it. You see, it's been over half a century of debate, yet it still remains the most frequently argued issue of my lifetime. I don't pretend to know all the answers, nor am I even comfortable with talking about it out loud, but like all of the other wedge issues that divide our nation, I hope to provide an insight on the subject that isn't a repeat of what you may have heard before. Not so much to settle the question, but more in an effort to remove that wedge. I figure if you're going to try to unite a divided country, why not start with the most divisive issue of our time to emphatically prove your point that it is possible. Now, the issue has two distinct parts, the question of a woman's rights and the reliability of the divisive nature of the subject. Now, I aim to address them both. And in finding that common ground on the subject that reasonable people on both sides of the issue can occupy, I hope to show you how we can end this endless debate, debate that really only serves to divert our attention from more pressing matters. It's one of the many shiny objects that is used to keep us at each other's throats and, and distract us from the incompetence that is destroying a nation. Let's start by acknowledging the fact that there is a side of this argument that sees abortion as murder, pure and simple. And another side that sees the right for a woman to choose to have an abortion as an absolute right never to be infringed. A right that, if infringed, would lead to other rights being taken away. It's the slow erosion of personal rights and freedoms, which is absolutely true. But that slow erosion of rights and freedoms is a fear that is equally felt on the pro-life side of the argument. People who view this state-sanctioned support of abortion, the ending of an unwanted life, as a slow erosion of personal rights that will one day lead us to the acceptance of state-sanctioned euthanasia. So you see where this is going yet? Both sides agree on the principles of liberty and privacy to support their arguments, regardless if it's the right of an unborn child or the rights of a woman and her body. It's the same argument. So how do you separate the privacy rights of a woman deciding whether or not to have an abortion from the rights of the unborn child she carries? And this is the hard part. You can't. No one can deny the right of privacy of the woman who makes a decision to have an abortion. It's as fundamental a principle as my right to freely practice the religion of my choice because they're the same rights. At the heart of this disagreement will always be the question of the privacy rights of the unborn child. Who speaks for them? And how do you separate a mother's body from the growing child inside her? Well, I don't have an answer for that. All I can offer is an argument that obligates both sides to stop disagreeing and to let us move on. Now, as much as I see this as a taking of a life, I cannot violate a law that I hold as my most treasured possession as an American, the most powerful law man has ever created, the law that says that no one can stand between me and my God, the law that recognizes my freedom to live my life as I please without interference from anyone telling me how to live it, the unalienable right that is recognized by the government of the United States of America as endowed by a creator. A right that no man or woman can take from another man or woman, no matter how righteous they believe their cause to be. Now, there are plenty of laws that restrict us from more primal social behaviors and laws that provide a level playing field for all, but this most fundamental law is superior to all others. And to respect this law as it pertains to my desire to love whom I choose or worship whom I choose or speak as I choose also protects that woman's right to choose what to do with her body, even if that decision flies in the face of my personal beliefs and all that I hold to be sacred. It's a stark reality for those of us on the pro-life side, but it's one that we must accept. 
If we are the guardians of morality and freedom that we claim to be, then we must have the fortitude to shift our focus from trying to restrict the privacy rights of those with whom we disagree to staunchly enforcing every aspect of that right to privacy that our Constitution promises. Now, these freedoms and liberties, like most constitutional promises, are always double-edged swords. And this argument, this right-to-choose argument, is the strongest argument that can be made in opposition to a national health care system operated by the federal government. They cannot be mutually exclusive. This precedent that we are to respect the absolute right of privacy of a pregnant woman as it pertains to her health care decision and her body is also present for those of us who seek to maintain our privacy and independence when it comes to my personal health care decisions and my body. This precedent, this Roe versus Wade decision, it should invalidate any attempt by government to make health care decisions on my behalf or to even hold my health care records in their possession. But it goes way further than that. This fundamental right to privacy as it pertains to my body is one that I will defend for myself as vigorously as I will defend a woman's right to have an abortion because it's the same right. And I would expect that same vigorous defense from these same people for my right to privacy from those who seek to impose government control of my personal health care and my body. They cannot have it both ways. Now, the thrust of my argument is that the people who hold that a woman's right to an abortion is an ultimate right to choose are the same people who wish to impose upon the rest of us a national health care system mandated and operated by the federal government. And the fact that they can have it both ways obligates them to either drop their support for that national health care system or give up their right to choose. Now, there are countless examples and situations that would arise to make this point, but I'll give you a simple one to mull. Let's say you're a 70-year-old man with lung cancer from 50 years of smoking, and you need a pacemaker to get just a few more years of life. Now, if he chooses to pay for this life-saving surgery or is promised by his private health care provider to maintain his health, then there is no place for government to interject its opinion on the subject any more than the government can interject its opinion on a woman's right to choose. And just like Jane Roe, this person has the same right to choose what to do with his body, no matter how disagreeable or wasteful you may find this expenditure of resources. It's none of your business. Now, by using this one simple example, you can see how constitutionally impossible a government-run health care system would be because this man would have no say or choice in getting this pacemaker. If the government is making the call, they would not give in the pacemaker and just let nature take its course, just as it's done today in countries all around the world who provide taxpayer-funded health care. You see, once you agree to free health care provided by the government, you will relinquish your choice of what to do with your body, your right to choose. You will simply be made to acquiesce to an unelected bureaucrat with a manual who will make the decision for you. You will not have the right to choose anymore. Any attempt at imposing government-run health care will certainly face these challenges. And when we will inevitably look to the Supreme Court for decision on the matter, I will point to Roe v. Wade as a precedent-setting decision that should forever render the idea of government-run health care unconstitutional. Now, to drive my point home even deeper, it's important to know that it's not only the Supreme Court's decision known as Roe v. Wade that sets the legal standard for abortions. In fact, that landmark case does not give abortion rights advocates their strongest argument. And for those willing to read the entire law, you will find that Roe v. Wade has its own set of restrictions baked into that decision that are not much different than what is currently being challenged in the Supreme Court. Let's start with the fact that the Supreme Court ruling that cemented the recognition of a woman's right to an abortion is not Roe v. Wade. 
It's a case known as Casey versus Planned Parenthood in 1992. Now, put simply, this was a challenge to a Pennsylvania law that sought to set restrictions on a woman seeking to have an abortion and a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. Now, the court's finding in that case was hung on an amendment to the Constitution that was ratified in 1868. And that is the 14th Amendment and its due process clause, which, quote, prohibits state and local governments from depriving a person of life, liberty, or property without a fair procedure. Now, this 14th Amendment is part of the same standard that prohibits slavery, and it is the foundation of all of our personal and property rights. And as much as some of us would like to infringe on that woman's right to choose an abortion and save her child, well, we cannot unless we are willing to similarly give away our own rights to privacy and allow others to place restrictions on our liberties. Healthcare or otherwise, you see, freedom is freedom. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. Now, this Casey decision, as it's known, is a precedent-setting decision that gives us all our right to privacy to such a degree that we can abort an unwanted child growing inside of us. If that is the standard, well, then privacy rights should equally apply to everything else that rises from that constitutional acknowledgement. It settles the question of this right to privacy of a woman with an unwanted pregnancy in the same way as it settles the question of slavery. And it also settles the question of a government that wishes to infringe on my right to the privacy of my health care. See, as far as I'm concerned, the debate is over. The same government that guarantees a woman's right to privacy as it pertains to an abortion must also guarantee my right to privacy as it pertains to my health care and my life choices. It cannot be any other way. The Supreme Court also believed way back in 1992 that the debate is over. Now, written in the majority opinion of the Casey versus Planned Parenthood was a plea by the Supreme Court to end the division and move on. Here's what they wrote, quote, it is the dimension present whenever the court's interpretation of the Constitution calls the contending sides of a national controversy to end their national division by accepting a common mandate rooted in the Constitution. And that was written nearly 30 years ago, and yet we're still arguing about it. For as clear as that can be, it does not end the debate for those who need this emotionally charged leverage to distract us from present-day dangers from which they have no answers. So what's next? What's next is to find the common ground that can unite the warring sides of this argument and reach for a compromise. It's a dirty word, compromise, when you're talking about abortion. But it's there. And I'm not so delusional that I think I can end this debate. But I would like to make a suggestion that I think can end the division. Now, how does this sound? In my ongoing effort to bring our nation together and to heal this open wound that is the abortion debate, and to heed the words of the Supreme Court, and to show ourselves that we are an intelligent people, I propose the following. If those of us on the pro-life side of the argument can accept the fact that, no matter how repulsive we may find this practice, it is the law, and no further efforts we made to change that law. Now, in exchange, we ask the right to choose crowd to agree to a similar compromise. And here's why we'll most certainly step in it, so I'm not going to. I'll just leave it there and let the other side decide on what they are willing to give up in exchange for such a monumental declaration. I would only ask that you embrace the enormity of the opportunity, the opportunity to show ourselves in the world that we can bridge divides no matter how deep, that we can agree on a course of action that doesn't give everyone everything they want, but takes us all to a better place. 
This effort to reunite these United States using the most divisive issue of our time is a perfect opportunity to change the tenor and tone of the current conversations and to affirm our progressive nature. We must all first accept the fact that there will always be people on both sides of this argument that can only maintain relevance by keeping the argument alive. They should be seen as nothing more than an irrelevant minority. There is an entire industry that profits from keeping Americans divided over an issue that has long been decided. Despicable people either know the truth and ignore it, or just plain ignorant of the facts and are only in it for the money. The abortion debate is over. And for the same reason, so should the concept of a government-run health care system. And by linking the two, it will allow both sides to give a little to get a little. It's a gesture of reasonability to prove that we are an evolving species. You see, compromise is a concept that is an absolute necessity for civilized people that hope to survive and prosper. By pointing to the clear hypocrisy of anyone who, on one hand, will demand the right to an abortion, and on the other, seek to impose restrictions on my health care choices, well, we can make that decision easy for them. And I am 100% confident that an overwhelming majority of Americans are not opposed to such a compromise. I know we have the numbers. I propose that we use such reasoning to reach an historical agreement and to show ourselves in the world that there is hope for our future. This is Eric Corey, and thank you once again for listening to my podcast. I only ask that you share this podcast with family and friends, because if we can find that common ground on this subject, well, then we can find common ground on everything else and reverse the toxic discourse that dominates today's conversations. All of my podcasts can be found anywhere podcasts are made available. Simply dial up A Different Story with Eric Corey, or go to my website, adifferentstorywithericcorey.com. Thank you.